This episode of Geekville Radio is dedicated to the memory of Neil Adams. Geekville Radio. Once again, all you geeks and geekettes, this is Seth, a.k.a. Xandrax, the mayor of Geekville and the host of Geekville Radio. we got a jam-packed show, a lot of MCU, a lot of DCEU stuff to talk about. We'll wind it up talking Moon Knight. But first, we're going to deal with a mainstream article. I think this is something that a lot of uh, people have noticed. And we're talking the effects of the Warner Brothers Discovery merger. Now, Some of what we're talking about may not have anything to do with the merger, but the timing of such uh, does make us wonder. And once again, returning from the nice soft padded cell in in South Kakalaki, my friend and co-host, Crazy Train Jonathan Bullock. All aboard, ladies and gentlemen. It's jam-packed. we got a lot of news, so let's just go ahead and go. Yeah, Unless you've been living under a rock or frozen in carbonite or whatever, you probably heard that the Warner Brothers Discovery merger has finalized. It's still in the process, but it's like, my understanding is all the legal stuff has been done as far as you dotting the I's and crossing the T's and all that. And one of the things that I can't help but think might be a casualty of this merger is CW has canceled two Arrowverse shows, not one but two. Batwoman just got canceled. It's on its third season. And DC's Legend of Tomorrow has been canceled. It just finished its seventh season And the thing is about Legends of Tomorrow is Season 7 ended on a cliffhanger. I know that they were hinting that Booster Gold was going to be coming in, and there was also the cliffhanger of Sarah Lance's pregnancy, because I think it's due to, like, the alien physiology, or she got uh, really complicated last season, but she's actually pregnant now. At least that was one of the cliffhangers. It's almost like a true soap opera-style thing, you know, which like, I'm pregnant, and then you do 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 Well, you also just remember she died and was resurrected and lost her soul, and that, that's how they brought in Constantine to begin with, so. Yeah. It's not like the character has had a, a very interesting past, say the least. Yeah, yeah, and during the course of Legends of Tomorrow, she actually died and was cloned and was, yep. I think what they had to do to get her alive again was she got merged with some alien DNA so that she could come back, so, uh, yeah, so she's she died at least twice been all over, She's been all over the place. Yeah. What is it with Green Arrow characters and dying? <laughs> I, I love that uh, that whole sidebar in the comics, the Batman comics, when Bruce figures out that Jason Todd has been resurrected, he actually goes to Ollie and says, mm-hmm. and Ollie's like, why are you coming to me? And he goes, uh, "It's I have a very short list of people I know that have been resurrected. You're at the top of that list. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> especially, so, yeah. <laughs> especially since somebody like Oliver Queen, obviously he doesn't have superpowers. You know, well, I think the way he came back was, I think it was because Hal Jordan was Spectre at the time. That is and, correct. That is yeah. correct. Spectre just basically brought him back, you know? Right, right. And of course, in the Arrowverse, Ollie is basically Spectre now, if I recall correctly. Right. That's kind uh, of what we're as alluded to, you know? Yeah, but yeah, that was right. when the way that Hal Jordan redeemed himself from his time as Parallax was he, he was allowed to become Spectre. Yeah. And Spectre is near godlike powers in the DC universe. So it was one of those things where Hal felt just felt the world was a better place with Oliver Queen in it. And I can't say I disagree. Mm-hmm. And they had that long history going back to the early 70s run together in the comics. So, yeah, made sense. But as far as the cancellations go, to get back on that topic, on 
Legends of Tomorrow is just on that, but then, we'll, then I'll switch to Batwoman. We're sitting here talking about how crazy and convoluted the storyline's gotten. I can't say anybody's really got to be shocked. If you look at CW, outside of Supernatural, have they ever had a show that lasted more than five or six seasons? I don't think so. That's kind of that's kind of about the average running time for a show there, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, because I, mean, I don't recall watching any other shows other than Arrowverse shows on CW, because I never got into Supernatural. I mean, nothing against it. It right. just was right. never my thing. Although I do like right. that uh, 68 Impala, though. Yes, it's pretty, pretty sweet. <laughs> but uh, so when you look at what's the average running, Arrow lasted, what, six seasons? Uh, I think it was eight. And, oh, it eight. was more like seven and a half because the eighth right. season only had a handful of episodes. And Arrow ended because the showrunners decided to end it. It wasn't canceled, per se. Right, right. Well, they even said, go, I mean, Berlanti said going into it, they had a five-year idea. Right. Because of the way they used the flashbacks each year. Excuse me, each season was supposed to represent one year on the island because of the flashback. But I just think based on just length of run, and let's be honest, I think Legends of Tomorrow, which I've openly stated on this podcast, After Arrow was my favorite of all the uh, the Flareoverse stuff. It just wasn't quite the same once they killed Rip's character off because he was kind of the glue that held everything. I mean, I think they did a good job at him preparing Sarah to be the new captain of the Wave Runner and everything, but... Once he left, it kind of went down. They, they, they peaked interest by bringing Constantine and Matt Ryan in, but that was a temporary fix. That wasn't mm-hmm. a permanent fix. It seemed to be from the jump. He was never going to be a permanent member of the team. So I, I can't say I'm shocked on that one. What are your thoughts on the, on, on my assessment there on that? Yeah, I think a big part of it, it could be budget because my understanding is a lot of those episodes had bigger budgets than – the other Arrow shows, naturally, because if they're going back in time, they got to get a certain type of set. And if they're in space, they got to do all the effects and such. Yeah, so, yeah. I, I could easily see that alone will make it much more expensive than the other shows. Yeah. And, and when it comes to quality, I think the best way I describe it is that it, it had really good peaks, but it also had some uh, pretty low valleys. And I think yeah, by the yeah. time uh, Dominic Purcell left, I think he was the only like original cast member left on the show. Yeah. I mean, you lost Rip. You lost... Captain Cold, you lost. He these were all the characters everybody loved. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know. And Hot then girl too. here comes. Yep. And then here comes here comes Constantine to kind of just and now he's gone too. It's like okay, what magic are you going to pull out of your hat now? Well, you can't right. really because I think Warner Brothers and DC is really really protective of other characters. They see them as too mainstream and they're not going to give them to them. So what are you going to do? Right. I do really believe Constantine was their last ace in the hole, and they played it already. What did Kitty Rogers always say? <laughs> yeah, no one to fold him. <laughs> yeah, no, no one to walk away. <laughs> right? Yeah, Arrow knew when to walk away. Sounds like Legends needed to know when to fold him, and they didn't. Yeah, you know? and, <laughs> and I think a lot of that also came from Matt Ryan just wanting to play the character again. Sure, because yeah. he, we know he he loves playing the characters. Sure. Now I believe Black Lightning was canceled. I don't think they decided to end that. I think that one was canceled because at first I was thinking yeah, was, this was this yeah. the first one that got canceled. Then I realized no, I think. Black Lightning got canceled. It is right, fourth season. Four, four seasons, yeah. And as far as the cliffhanger issue you brought up, this will not be the first time, nor will it be the last time, a television show that has viewership gets canceled on a cliffhanger. Right. You know? Yeah, I, I think and, one of the biggest examples of that from the 80s was the uh, a crime drama set in the 60s called Crime Story with, right. uh, with the Dennis, Dennis Farina. Yeah, and because that one ended with like, I think it was like a nuclear bomb going off or something like that. And then yeah. the show just I mean, ended I, after that. I believe, didn't Beauty and the Beast, the Linda Hamilton, Ron Perlman, end in a cliffhanger as well? 
I think it might have as well. After like maybe three seasons and like all the ladies loved that show. It was a heavy handed with romance. I think that was another one too, if I remember right, along the lines of because of the makeup effects for Ron Perlman's Beast character just became cost prohibitive. If I yeah, because right. you know, for every day he's got to put all that stuff, and of course, granted, Brian Perlman kind of made a career out of donning a lot of makeup. Hellboy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, he even had a lot of makeup in, in in supporting roles like In Me at the Gate. You know, the Jude Law Ed, Ed Harris movie about the Battle of Leningrad, where he mm-hmm. plays a character who had lost all his teeth and had brass teeth. I mean, he had to wear a dental appliance and makeup for that. So it's just kind of what he does, you know. <laughs> right. But at least with with it being a cliffhanger, since there's still going to be other shows, because I know Flash is is renewed, there there could conceivably be some kind of way they could at least cap it off in uh, a big Flash uh, crossover miniseries or something like that. Hey, Lo- Lois, Lois and Clark's doing great too, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, that's that that's got renewed. It's gonna, it's going to do a third season. And I believe um, the Star Girl is it still on? HBO Max or not, I can't remember. I think it's, I want to say it's gotten a third season, but I think it's in between seasons right now. I'd, I'd have to look uh, that yeah. one up. But I, I, I was liking that because that's the that. one I haven't watched yet. And I don't know why, because of what I do for a living, I could right. easily binge it at work. <laughs> right. And, and it, it did a good job, I think, of kind of doing that Earth 2 type environment where right. there's still right. modern technology, but some of the cars are classic and all that. Yeah. Kind of like Gotham on Fox. You know? Right. Right. But moving on to, to and the other thing, let me bring this up. With, with it being a cliffhanger, there's also the possibility with this being CW, there's always the possibility, and we've seen this before with other shows, of that like two hour made for television movie to wrap up the storyline. Yeah. Yeah. They, they could do that because it, it does look like there's going to be a third season of Stargirl. And it also looks like it's going to be one of those where the entire season is essentially going to be one big story, which is usually cool when I, they pull that I, off. Am I remiss in saying that the two made-for-television movie of the 80s that were essentially follow-ups to the Bill Bixby, Lou Ferrigno, Incredible Hulk series were some of the worst depictions you've ever seen of Daredevil and Thor ever? Yep. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, I, I, that's one of those things. Where I'm kind of glad they, they didn't get popular because I probably only made it worse. Although there is one thing I, one of those Hulk movies brought to the world is I believe those were the ones that started the whole Stanley cameo thing because— Stan Lee had a cameo uh, yeah. as one of yeah. the jurors. Yeah, I think that was in the in the trial of, of the Incredible Hulk, which is the one that was, of course, Matt Murdock. This is I'm going out on a limb here and saying, and this might give me some hate mail, but I think even Ben Affleck's depiction of Matt Murdock in that terrible early 2000s movie was better than that's a big yeah, yeah, the, the Street Murdock. Hawk guy. That's, <laughs> yeah, well, at least he wore the all black like the original. <laughs> well, right. the original Daredevil was black, yellow, and. Yeah, yeah, and I think having the uh, like the bandana over the head was a was a early thing as well. Although that that might have been retconned. I can't remember if it was Frank Miller that did well, that or if it I don't was... know if Frank Miller did that. I mean, that was definitely the homage I think they were going for in that first season of Daredevil on Netflix, Charlie okay. Cox. But we're talking about DC, not Marvel. Anyway, right. <laughs> right. And on the on the Batwoman, this one I don't really think Discovery had anything to do. I think Batwoman was on the chopping block for a while. Your lead star quits after the first season mm-hmm. because she's she's banged up and is like, this is just a brutal shooting schedule. I can't handle this. It was very divisive from the jump because of the way certain aspects of it were presented. It felt forced, like a message being forced down the throat of a lot of viewers. It should have been. I don't think they marketed it well. It, it, it continually dropped in the ratings. I don't think it ever got higher than like 30% of, of audience approval on Rotten Tomatoes. 
So to say that it's getting canceled is not a shock at all to me, you know? Yeah, because I never heard of it doing big numbers, especially because I think Arrow and Flash were always well-received. And I think even Legend of Tomorrow had a bigger right. audience. Right. I know Superman, at that first season, I know was... Black know, Lightning did viewers. well the first couple of years, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. But Batwoman has been divisive from the jump. I think it was mishandled. I think it had the potential to be something without getting on a soapbox because we avoid this kind of discussion on Geekville Radio and all our podcasts for that matter. But there was definitely some messaging involved and it with Batwoman. And it seemed to me that some of the showrunners and some of the people behind the scenes involved with it were more worried about getting that message out through this property than they were just telling good stories. And that's always going to blow up in your face. Yeah. And one of the things is not just with the Arrowverse shows, it's with like all the CW shows. Everybody falls in love with everybody else in, in, mm-hmm. in some capacity. But if you know that going into a CW show, you, you just kind of take it with a grain of salt. You right. Know? You're right. Yeah. You know it's coming. You know, you know what you're getting. You know, I watch a lot of sci fi you know, shows on the Sci Fi Channel. Mm-hmm. And I just always remind myself going into them as a fan of horror and sci fi, these are the same people that brought a Sharknado. If I, if I keep that in yeah. the back of my mind, I kind of realize what I'm getting into. But I'm not, I'm not let down. But I, I do think, I, I just don't understand that mindset. It's not the first time this has happened in a movie or a television show, and I don't think it'll be the last, where young, creative people get a hold of a television show or a movie. They're very much advocates for particular political or social uh, issues, and they see this uh, as a chance to to champion that and there's nothing wrong with that but if you get so heavy-handed and and just the message you want to get out there you often do it at at the 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 sake of, of the story and telling good stories you, you could and risk alienating I'm, some viewers if, if it comes on too strong on top, saying, right? on top of that yeah that on top, so you and me have said multiple times on this podcast most average movie especially geek movie we don't care or TV viewers. We don't care about a lot of the stuff that that they seem to care about. We just want a good story mm-hmm. with that with well acted and that you're running the risk of not doing that. And I think right. that is all my opinion. Like I said, if you want to send hate to my way, that's fine. I'm fine with that. I'll, I'll argue with you about it. I did I think ultimately that was what the downfall of Batwoman. In my opinion. What's your opinion? Uh, it it could be. Like I said, I I think I watched the premiere, but there there just wasn't enough uh, me to the story there, you might say, to to, to get me hooked. I like that they brought mm-hmm. Batwing into it. The, I, I don't know how yeah. you have these characters without Bruce Wayne in it. And the thing is Bruce with Supergirl... son you're talking about, right? Right, right. And, uh, but one of the things I liked about the Supergirl series was they did actually take some stuff from Superman lore that might not have been big enough to make in a feature film and just retold the story you know, with Supergirl in place. I, I think there was some messaging, too, and Supergirl, similar type messaging to on the battle. But because of what you're talking about, borrowing already well-established stories that had proven over time they were good stories and applying them to Supergirl, they didn't do that as bad. You know what I'm saying? There was, right. There was the messaging in there, but there was a good story too. Right. You never really had that. And and let's be honest, this is, take it forever you want to work, in the actual his, in, you know, comics historically, Supergirl is always Kara El has always been a more prominent and popular and well-read character than Kate Kane was. Mm-hmm. She just was. And for those that want to jump on my throat, 
I'm willing to do, but understand I'm very knowledgeable about the bat mythos and bat history. I'm very fine with the Batwoman character in the comics. And a lot of the, these, the social issues that were brought up in the, in the, in the television show are brought up in the comics and I have no problem with them. They're just better handled there. Kate Kane is openly a lesbian in the comic book. And that particular aspect of her character is much better handled in the comics than it was in the television. So take that mm-hmm. for what it's worth. Right. Now, also in the DC realm, but in the movies, we have several movies changing release dates. Now, we don't know for sure if this is part of the merger or if it's due to some of the real-life news going on. We've, we've heard some of the stories on what's happened with Ezra Miller outside of filming The Flash and, and such, but it looks like uh, Aquaman and the Lost Kingdom, that's Aquaman 2, has been pushed back to March 17th of next year. So it would be 2023. It was originally mm. supposed to land, I think, in the fall of this year. And The mm. Flash will now hit theaters a little over a year you know, on June 23rd, 2023. And the funny thing about that is, as we know, Michael Keaton is reprising Batman for that Flash movie. Right. Well documented. Yeah, he's also doing it for the Batgirl movie that's going to be on HBO Max. And now it looks like that Batgirl movie is going to hit HBO Max this year. So we'll actually see Michael Keaton as Batman before The Flash. I think that was kind of funny. Well, we've already seen that with Julia Louis-Dreyfus's portrayal of Contessa mm-hmm. with the delays on Black Widow. And that that's supposed to be that character's introduction to the MCU with it being delayed, we actually saw it earlier in Winter Falcon Soldier. Winter Soldier. So yeah. once again, we all know Marvel tends to handle these situations better than DC, but it ain't like it. We ain't seen it before. We haven't even seen it in, we've even seen it in comic book stuff before, mm-hmm. yeah. recently. So now, like you said, a lot of this might be current events. I think Aquaman, if you'd have to be have lived under a rock or frozen in carbonite, like you said earlier, if you, if you didn't realize the trial between Johnny Depp and, and Amber Heard's going on, Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of speculation. Is this because they're going to reshoot the Amber Heard stuff? There is an online campaign to have her removed from the movie. Right. My saying is, whoa, hold up. That's a little ridiculous. Her defense is currently examining witnesses. So the, the trial isn't even over yet. So I would say before you even make that speculation, you might want to wait until the trial's over and see what the outcome is. You know? Yeah, yeah. I, I would agree with that because there's a lot of stuff out there that we just don't know. Right. And if they do go that route, that could explain that because if they decide to get rid of her because of the bad PR coming off this case, I can't remember the, the we were discussing in the prep that movie, I think it was in, I want to say 2020, which let's be honest, because of the pandemic was kind of a blur for everybody. There was that movie that was a biopic about Churchill during World War II that Gary Oldman got a, an Oscar nom. I remember, I, I think that was originally cast and shot as another actor. I want to say Max von Sydow before he passed away. I could be wrong, but it was an actor who some rumors came up about some past indiscretions. And so to avoid the bad PR, they just decided to, to recast it and reshot the whole movie, or at least all the scenes with Oldman now as Churchill. So this is not something that Hollywood is one can't do and, and two is not afraid to do if they do go that way. And another question I have is Patrick Wilson returning as Orm Ocean Master in this, or do you know? I believe so, I because I, they, they certainly set him up to return, you might say. Well, I know that they're supposed to be making another Conjuring movie. Now, what the shooting schedule is, I mean, they just had one come out a little bit less than a year ago, The Devil Made Me Do It, which was the third in the Conjuring proper movies, the ones that deal uh, with Lorraine and, and, and the, with the Warrens, with Patrick, with, with Patrick Wilson's character. 
maybe there was a conflict in shooting schedules. I'm sure he wants to be tied to the DCU because it's a big money, but the conjuring is really big money, a property too. And mm-hmm. he's one of the two lead actors in it. So I could understand him not. I mean, obviously Mia Farmiga, but she found time in her shooting schedule between all the conjure movies to do Hawkeye. Right. But, mm-hmm. but conflicts are not unusual. Scheduling conflicts are not unusual. There's a lot of actors and actresses that have to step down from roles that they were cast in. Remember, Tom Hardy was originally supposed to play Colonel Flagg in the first Suicide Squad, but then there was a conflict with, I believe, that that show he did on AMC. And so they cast Rick Kinnaman, and he wound up playing the character. Mm-hmm. So now it's the Flash. I, I think you, you and me had talked off Mike. Some of the behavior of Ezra Miller as of late, the first couple of times you think, well, he's young. But it seems to have been multiple incidents now, correct? Yeah. Yeah. When it's one or two things, I, I know there's something about, like, he, I think he, like, slapped a fan or something like that. And he and, was, like, rude to an older couple at a convenience yeah. store or something, I think. Yeah. Right. And uh, it's one of those things when it's uh, an isolated incident or something here or there, I, I think a lot of people can forgive that. But it's like when it becomes. No, everybody has everybody has a bad day. But right. when it becomes a pattern. Exactly. And not to get on a soapbox once again, as a mental health professional an advocate for mental health care. My opinion is, and this is, I wasn't there. I haven't read the charts or anything. If everything is true that's being reported about Ezra Miller, he might have some some mental health issues that need to be addressed. And I would hope if that is the case, that the studio would want the well-being of one of their actors to come first. And right. I think all of us that are decent human beings would. As yeah. much as we like Ezra Miller's portrayal of the Flash and we want the new Flash movie, is he's having these issues and he needs some help. We'd rather he get the help first and then come back stronger, finish whatever shooting he's got to do, and then get the good, good, get the movie. Don't you agree with that? Right. Uh, absolutely. If he needs to take some time off, if it means having a better career as part of it, then then so be it. Uh, I don't know how much of The Flash is finished filming and how much of it's in post-production, but if they have to delay another movie or maybe write Barry out for a couple movies just to give him time so he can get better, I, I think in the end it's a win for everybody. Yeah, I, I think... You and I are both big fans of of, of old rock and roll, and we're, we're fans of of wrestling. Those are two other areas where the, the 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 hectic pressures that are put on the performers in those two professions can become too much. And we both have seen, I know, people that you know, rock stars and wrestlers we love give in to those pressures and it not end well. And and I would hate to see that happen again if it can be avoided. Right. right. I did check right. on IMDb though, and Patrick Wilson is listed for. Aquaman and Lost Kingdom. So it looks like he is reprising the Orm character. I don't okay. know how, how, how much and, he'll appear in it. Yeah, of course. And that was always a supporting role anyways. Well, yeah. I've, I've been on my soapbox a bunch. You going to jump up on yours? You got anything <laughs> else to add or <laughs> tell me I'm well, wrong? And <laughs> I, I can't really add or change anything or counter anything that, that you said there. But uh, one, one, one other thing on DC, as far as the movies go, and I think it's a pretty safe assumption this has nothing to do with the... Warner Brothers Discovery merger because it was just common sense. We all figured it was going to happen anyway, which is the Batman is getting a sequel and right. Matt Reeves uh, is returning to direct. I know that it's hit HBO Max now as of this recording. I don't know if there's, I haven't watched it, the, the whole thing. I watched like the first half because it could, how long the movie is. I, I don't know if there's been any scenes added or anything like that, but it, it, it just uh, shows well, that. Wasn't that our, our only critique of it? Was it was too long? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because I remember saying, I think uh, if. HBO Max could do it where you can like play it at uh, one and a half speed or something like that for the drama parts. You could probably get through the movie in less time 90, and still be able to follow everything. 90 minutes? 
Yeah, <laughs> something like. I don't think anybody's shocked by this news because obviously the appearance of the Joker at the end was setting up for a sequel, wasn't it? Right. Yeah. Yeah. They. they, they it was. There was that scene that was released online, but I think that was to kind of whet the appetite for the yeah. uh, forthcoming series and, and maybe talk of a and, sequel. And, it, and technically, it was already getting a sequel, just not in film form, because we knew that Colin Farrell is going to reprise his role in the HBO Max series about. Oswald Cobblepot. So it was kind of right. already getting a sequel already, you yeah. know, but now yeah, it's getting a motion picture as well. Right. What do you speculate the storyline will be? I mean, obviously the Joker's been dangled out there. What else? Mm -hmm. Well, they also set up Penguin to kind of be, I don't know if he usurps the word, but it's like Penguin. Take over? Yeah. Yeah. Penguin kind of took the reins as a crime boss, or at least was posed to in the Batman. And Joker's Joker. We, we all know that Joker's just as much insane as he is brilliant. So organized crime, of course, might be a little bit of an oxymoron with Joker because there's a lot of times the, the organization, so to speak, is so Rigid. chaotic. Yeah. he. I, I think Joker, the best way to describe Joker is he's a, he's a, he is a disorganized crime lord. <laughs> well, he is a perfect example of chaotic evil. Pure chaos. Yeah. Pure chaos, yes. Mm -hmm. But we've said many, many. Batman has probably the richest and deepest and most interesting rogues gallery of any hero out there in any imprint. Right. So I, I think you literally could take the main players in his rogue gallery, put them on a dartboard, blindfold yourself, throw a dart, hit one, and then write a good script that people would watch about that about that villain and Batman yeah. battling him. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that, that's everything I got as far as the DC movie stuff. If you want, we'll switch over to Marvel news because as of this recording, Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness is going to hit theaters this week. And the film has already sold something like 40 or 50 million in advanced ticket sales. I think it broke a record for like 24-hour advanced ticket sales. And uh, early reviews have said that it's very much a Sam Raimi film, which I think we might talk a little bit off, Mike, about it. That, that's what we were really hoping because Sam Raimi knows the horror and he's already done comic book movies before because he did the three Spider-Man movies. But I think it's a little bit of a relief to hear that there's still kind of going to be the Sam Raimi touch as far as right. the quirks and such. I'm I'm assuming we're going to get a cameo by Bruce Campbell because he always seems to cameo in all of Sam Raimi's movies. And hopefully we get that yellow 1973 Oldsmobile Delta 88 that seems to make cameos in every Sam Raimi movie as well. Right. There's only one, one Sam Raimi movie that didn't have a Bruce Campbell. And I, it's a horror movie. I can't remember what it was. It was actually on my list this last October. And the only reason Bruce was not able to do it was because he was filming Ventures of Briscoe County Jr. Sam Raimi even figured out a way to work the, the Impala into his sequel to Wizard of Oz with James Franco. And <laughs> <laughs> was, was that what, anachronistic? Because, I mean, it was that, what, a, a full 45, 50 years before that car was ever built? <laughs> but he, yeah. he figured out a way to work it into it. Right, right. If I remember right, it was like covered up partially by a, a tarp in the back room the wizard had. I think that was how he worked it into that one, but who knows? Yeah. It will be a little easier, I think, to work it into this because it being modern-day New York, <laughs> as with some other projects taken. And since we know there's going to be other parts of the multiverse shown, all these other universes, there, there, there's countless uh, possibilities, I think, they can do, that they can do, even if it's just in the background. And, and forewarning for those who are looking for that, that Bruce Campbell cameo, it doesn't have to be a speak like like he had in the Spider-Man movie. And, and this being Marvel and having the post-credit scenes, if you haven't seen Bruce, stick around for that because 
It looked like the entire movie of 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 Darkman, the great Sam Raimi movie. There's no Bruce Campbell until the very very end before they roll the credits, and Darkman puts on what his fake skin, turns around, and is Bruce Campbell in a crowd in mm-hmm. a crowded city, and then walks away. Never speaks. We see Bruce for all of what five seconds, so it could be something that quick. So if you're going in Jones and for your your Bruce Campbell cameo, it could be something like that. It could even be something in the post credits. Right. So yeah, and we also know that. More Spider-Man spinoffs are coming because there is going to be a third Venom movie with Tom Hardy and the rapper Bad Bunny is going to star in an El Muerto movie about a luchador who's been in uh, Spider-Man lore, I believe. Uh, Yeah. And obviously Bad Bunny does have some wrestling experience because he was at uh, WrestleMania and did some matches there. I don't know how extensive his training is, but uh, one of the things I found about Tom Hardy was that he actually signed a three-picture deal when he made the original Venom. So I think right. Venom 3 was always in the cards unless the movies did terrible, which, of course, they both did did very mm-hmm. well. So I, I I haven't read Spider-Man regularly for a while, so I don't know if that El Muerto character is newer, or newer, I should say. The the main wrestler I remember from Spider-Man is, of course, the Crusher Hogan in the in the comics, and they, right. they changed it to Bonesaw in the first uh, Sam Raimi movie, but... With, with with Brady Savage playing him now. Right, right. So I I don't know if there's any retcon with Al Murray. You said you said you'd actually heard of the character. Or? Yeah, I don't know much about him though. Okay. All I know is, is being obviously pretty intimately knowledgeable with the pro wrestling world. For whatever reason, luchadors and probably goes back to the '90s with WCW bringing all the luchadors in and exposing mm-hmm. them to American audiences. Since about then, I'd say about 2000. There has been a fascination with luchadors and Mexican pro wrestling in American pop culture. Heck, you can buy luchador masks at, at Hot Topics, you know. Yeah, so. yeah. And, and I think part of the appeal is with the masks, they kind of look like superheroes anyway. I always thought right. that was kind of the the idea with with, sure. with mask luchadors is that they, they have a superhero persona that they adopt when they put that mask on. Well, two of the most famous mask wrestlers in Japan, Jushin Thunder Liger and Tiger Mask, are both based on manga characters. Yeah. One, they, you know, like Tiger Mask, if I remember right, was already a successful comic book. And then New Japan decided to create a wrestler modeled after him. Yeah. And it was the adverse with Jushin Liger, whereas the manga company went to New Japan and said, we want to launch this title that is going to have this character. Why don't you, for, for promotional purposes, it'll help both of us out. Why don't you create a character to, to go, kind of like Batgirl when she was introduced in the 66 Adam West Batman show. Mm-hmm. It was one of those things where it was parallel. So yeah, I I don't I, I don't know that much about him, but it's it's and as far as the wrestling goes for Bad Bunny, he's wearing a mask. They can always use a stunt double if they need to. Right, right, absolutely. Now have you have you seen the leaked uh, headshots of oh what's his name that, that was cast to play Craven with the make with the hair and the and the, and the beard and everything? Uh, I seen saw those pictures yet? of the actor. I didn't see him in. Uh, look, was it was it uh, concept art or was it a was it a uh, no? It was actually it was actual headshots of, of the actor. And now it could have been, it could have been a fake. Uh, the ones I saw, I saw him about a week ago, but he had the slicked back hair and, and the goatee. Looked right. a little younger than Craven is portrayed in the comics. But what is the actor's name again? That they, they cast, I can't remember. Oh, uh, it was again. Aaron Taylor Johnson, I believe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The one who played the one who played Quicksilver played uh, 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 yeah, the one who played Quicksilver in, in, in Age Ultron. He he looks all right from what I saw. Yeah, and it and, could have been just a headshot of him where they they photoshopped in slicked back hair and a beard. I don't know, right? Right. But I understood when they cast him, they're going for a younger Craven than what we're used to in the comics, anyways. Right you now, 
You know, because I, I think I'd said before, a, a perfect guy. I mean, he's in his 70s now, so he'd probably be a little old. But, but Ian McShane, I think, in his, in, oh, well, in, yeah. if he was like, like 40 years old. Yeah, yeah, he would have been excellent. Yeah. You don't have this on our notes, but I thought I would ask you, and you might be able to run to the wiki and find it out. What's the numbers on Morbius? I've heard it's not doing good. I think it did well opening weekend, but give me a moment. Let me uh, jump in the wiki here. Okay, looks like it was $161 million worldwide. Uh, so mm-hmm. not too shabby, $40 million opening. I don't know what the budget was, but I believe it... Did it believe, drop off significantly the second weekend, though? Yeah, yeah. I think it did open at number one, but then it, yeah, it, it probably dropped off after that. So, but that that's one of those characters. I, uh, Morbius, I think, would have been more fitting to do one of those Disney Plus series on. I know that 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 Sony has the rights to it, but I think yeah, what I mean, that that's the type of character I think would would have been better suited to have a TV miniseries than a big budget movie. Yeah, yeah, kind of dark character too. He is a living vampire after all. So right, right. But that's going to wrap up the news section of Geekville Radio. We're going to take a quick break, and we come back, we're going to dive into Moon Knight because the finale uh, is set to air soon, and we wanted to get our review and we want to get our predictions for what we think is going to be in, in the finale first before the show actually airs. This is Geekville Radio, and we'll be right back. Are you looking for a gaming-themed podcast? Check out You Just Got Fragged. Join host Jared Aubrey and his panel of gaming enthusiasts as they discuss news and accomplishments in the gaming world, and of course, the gripe of the week. That's all at YouJustGotFrag.com, part of the Wrestling Brethren podcast family. Attention all Time Lords and ladies, Geek Girl Radio presents Examining the Doctor, a weekly look at everybody's favorite Time Lord, the Doctor. Join Mark and Seth as they bring their signature blend of knowledge and humor to favorite and not-so-favorite episodes of Doctor Who. From Hartnell to Capaldi, Examining the Doctor provides episode commentaries for classic and current Doctor Who fans alike. Examining the Doctor, available on iTunes, Stitcher, and at GeekGoRadio.com. Spoiler alert! Spoiler alert! Spoiler hole has been breached! Spoiler hole has been breached! Alright, we are back, diving into Moon Knight here. This is the week of the finale that will air, and we wanted to get our review and our predictions out, because in case we're right, then we can at least say that we're right, and if we're wrong, that's cool too, because I think... The MCU's had a pretty good track record with uh, wrapping up shows. One thing that I thought was interesting about Moon Knight as far as the reception to the show, because I was trying to see what its ratings or what its numbers were like. And according to TV Line, and I'll have the article linked at geekforradio.com slash 304, that it actually placed last in the Marvel premieres, at least as far as for the first week. A little bit less than Hawkeye and WandaVision. But it's worth mentioning that WandaVision and Hawkeye both debuted with two episodes. Moon Knight only had one episode in its first weekend. So I think that actually makes it a, a more impressive showing because it's a pretty safe bet if people sat down to watch Hawkeye or um, WandaVision it's uh, on its opening week. They probably watched both episodes. They didn't just watch one. Whereas right, with Moon Knight, you only had one episode. So I think it says something that one episode got as much play as 
two episodes of the other series. Well, I mean, you said that Falcon Winter Soldier did really, really good, and it was just behind WandaVision and Hawkeye. Well, the one thing that all those properties had that Moon Knight didn't was they were established characters. They're established characters portrayed by actors we were already familiar with and emotionally attached to in the role. This is a new character who is a a lesser well-known, and the first time, unless you want to count Kate Bishop, the first time we've seen a Marvel character introduced origin story-wise through a television show as opposed to a movie. So it's I think comparing it to that is apples to personally. Yeah, For yeah, that seems that seems fair. And Moon Knight, we talked about it when we did our history of the character that he kind of is more of a secondary character. I mean, he's had his own yes. series off and on, but he's not the first Marvel character you're going to think of. Usually with with Moon Knight, the people that like Moon Knight, they're like already his their their favorite character. He's he's a character that you have to be a comic book junkie to even know who he is. Mm-hmm. So the fact that if it was only a little bit behind WandaVision and and uh, Hawkeye, I think, is actually speaks well to it. Yeah, agreed. Especially when you take in the light that WandaVision was the first new Phase Four material we got because of the delay of, of Black Widow and, and the pandemic. So people were really jonesing for any new MCU stuff, and that was the first one. Yeah. So yeah, you know, yeah, I agree totally. When you re- when you look at that, it really is impressive that if, if it was just behind it. Right now, the big question I have is uh, since you've read more Moon Knight than I have, even though I'm the Marvel guy. I I take it you've been happy with the depiction overall, right? Yeah. Once again, I've said this before when we talked about other uh, material that is adapted from comic books or novels, that I expect them to leave some things out for time constraints, storytelling purposes, just to streamline it. I'm not shocked that they've only gone the route of two aspects or two different personalities that Mark has. It is a little bit different, hasn't gone into depth yet with how long he's actually had DID and why he has the particular personalities he does, whereas the television show, and we start to see this by the time we reach the fifth episode, right? that Stephen Grant was pretty much developed by Mark Spector as a way to protect himself from bad memories. I, I don't know that much about dissociative identity disorder. I don't think that's actually correct from a psychological mental health standpoint. I think it's more you just develop them you don't cre- it's not like an imaginary friend you create to protect yourself. Right. I think the the take that they've taken on the show is into that realm of repressed memories, which is a very controversial and polarizing concept even within the mental health field, but it does give a logical explanation uh, that a regular non-learned non-into psychology type person can get their mind around why he has these two personalities to speak, you know. Right, yeah, because I've heard it said that the uh, the multiple personalities, it's always kind of depicted in movies and TV and such and entertainment. It's not really predicted accurately from what it's like in real life. Right. It does happen. There are people that somehow have that different personality, complete with a different uh, right. accent, and those two personalities kind of, in, in a lot of cases, don't know of each other. But well, my, outside my, my of that, opinion I mean, is My opinion is a mental health professional, and by, I by no means have seen every film and television show that deals with these topics, your standard for dissociative disorder would be Sybil. There's a reason Sally Field won an Oscar for it. And it was a pretty pretty accurate depiction of of that particular disorder. But this, again, once again, if I remember right, the movie itself was based on a novel about a woman who did suffer from dissociative identity disorder. So, no shocker. I will say Split, you know, the, the, the M. Night Shyamalan movie that was part of the Unbreakable franchise or, or little trilogy. Mm-hmm. Does a pretty good job too, and okay. once again, 
kudos to James McAvoy for for portraying the character that well. The I brought this up when we first talked about Moon Knight a few weeks ago when we kind of gave a precursor to the who is Moon Knight section. Mm-hmm. That dissociative identity disorder and schizophrenia are different, and they're often confused by people that aren't in the field. Schizophrenia is full on auditory and visual hallucinations, whereas right. dissociative identity disorder is you literally have multiple personalities. You become right. that person. The the best film depiction of that. I would say, in my opinion, is a beautiful mind. How the Russell Crowe character, which once again, like Sybil's based on a, on a real experiences of a real individual who suffered from that disorder. The Jude Law character is the, the full-on auditory and visual hallucination that the Russell Crowe character has. As a viewer, don't even realize that till what, five, six of the ways in the movie. Oh my gosh, that guy was never there. The way it was filmed, okay. the way it was portrayed, portrayed is that Jude Law was just one of his friends from college and he never was really there he was one that the what is the real life mathematician that he portrays it but it, he he it's it's it, that is that is the the schizophrenia mm-hmm. and so that portrayal of it is the best i've ever seen in a movie of schizophrenia which is different from dissociative identity disorder and i think sybil's probably the best representation of that on film with split being close behind it this is, is not as accurate as either one of them, but not that far. Yeah, I, I think the way I summarized it off camera, off mic, because we were texting out uh, about this stuff, and I said schizophrenia can kind of be more related to the voices in your head or the devil made me do it yes. or something yes, like that. Yes, yes, or if you're yes, Randy Orton, yes, you it's, think, in your theme, it's in your theme song. I hear voices in my right. head. Being a horror guy, a lot of movies and, and quote-unquote true true life stuff that deals with possession people saying oh i heard voices in my head it was a demon um, probably the most famous being ronald defeo who was the the young man who killed his whole family in the amityville house and then of course the movie is set a few years after the real life murders and the lutzes supposedly are and he claimed in his defense that that it was a demon made him to hear voices same thing with like son of sam the serial killer and mm-hmm. was it 76 or 77 in new york city right. david berkowitz he claimed the reason he was called Son of Sam was he claimed that the neighbor's dog was possessed, was actually a demon that was telling him to do it. That would be actual where you're hearing the voices in your head, not where all of a sudden there's a flip of a switch that you don't see and that person is another person. That yeah. is dissociative identity disorder, and that is what Mark Spector is has. That that's his yeah. his mental disorder. And they, like I said, they do a good job in the show. I think we brought this up earlier. I think it was the fact that he is a British actor who can affect a pretty good American accent. They allow him to have an American accent when he is in, when he is Mark Spector, and they allow him to have the British accent when he is Stephen Grant, mm-hmm. which helps immensely to delineate between the two. Yeah, I think you're right. They probably did the accent just to help distinguish that these were two different personalities. Right, um, and, and then, of course, it goes further, and we see that in these episodes that we're reviewing, is that Stephen Grant was actually developed as a form of protecting himself from the abuse by his mother when he was a child. And it's solely based on a Indiana Jones kind of character that he was in like a movie or TV show. He watched as a kid, right? Stephen Grant was the name of the character and the character in the, 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 the movies that Mark watched was British as well. Mm-hmm. And now in the, in the comics, if I recall correctly, wasn't one of the personalities actually a cab driver? Yes. Locksley, I believe. Jake, Jake Lockley. Lock. Yeah. No, no, I don't know to say that about it. Yes, yeah. Because Stephen Grant, yes, it is. Jake Loxley. He's like a, a New York City, Brooklynite type cabbie. Whereas the Stephen Grant character in the comic books is a rich billionaire along the lines of Tony Stark, Oliver Queen, Bruce Wayne. 
kind of a playboy man about town. Well, we'll go all the way back to our, our, our first episode of Lesser Known Geek Hall of Fame. It's Lamont Cranston from The Shadow. Right. Whereas here, they made Mark Spector, which is true to the comics, the badass, military-trained mercenary, turned mercenary. Instead of Stephen Grant being this rich billionaire, they've turned him into this weak, non-aggressive British guy. Borderline who, pacifist, really, I think. Yeah, he really is. But also, to for once again, for storytelling purposes, make him an expert on, on Egyptology. Right. Which, which, that's a little weak sauce to me, personally, because, let me explain, let me expound on that. You, one would assume that this ass, this other personality is so knowledgeable in Egyptology because of the experiences Mark had that we find out about, how he was essentially killed or dying right. during a mercenary hit, and then passes out in front of the statue of Conchu underneath the moonlight and Conchu says, Hey, you want to be my avatar? I'll resurrect you. And he does, which is pretty close to what happens in the comic book. Yeah. So we're kind of led to believe, or at least it's left out that carrot is dangled on the viewer to, Oh, so he developed Stephen Grant and gave him the knowledge of Egyptology to go along with the, the, well, no, because he developed Stephen Grant long before he became a conscious avatar. And the character that hit this, this personality was based on was an archaeologist. So it was already there to begin with. That's a little weak to me. It, it, it just seems too convenient, too contrived, and too easily explainable. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. It just, uh, oh, hey, the alternate personality just happens to be an expert in all this mythology so we can save time explaining things is what is how it came across, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. But once again, that is the limitations of episodic television or a movie as opposed to comic books or novels. Right. Where you can spend a lot of time in exposition. Yeah, it's the type of thing that you could explain in a couple frames in a comic or maybe even just a couple paragraphs in a book. But in order to depict it in live action, you'd have to spend considerable more time showing that than you probably would just going through a couple lines in a, in a book. Do you think that's that's a fair assessment? Or mm-hmm. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, at least as um, far as showing how he was able to learn all this stuff. We'll, we'll just say, okay, right. rather than ha- show him learning it, we'll just say he already knows it. Right, right. So, it, it, like I said, it all kind of wraps up a little too neatly with a bow on top for me. But once again, for time constraint reasons, I, I'm pretty sure that's why they did it. Right. You know? And we say it all the time. They didn't make the shows with us in mind because we're going to watch anyway. They they make it right. for the casual people like, oh, well, these Marvel movies have been good. Who's this Moon Knight guy? Yeah. Right. And now they're going to watch it. They're going to have pretty easy built-in explanations as to why all these pieces fall into place. They're never going to question and go on. Right. Right. Exactly. The, the main thing I wanted to ask you as I was watching these episodes was... Mm-hmm. They had the was it the the Kayla character like Layla oh yeah, said, like, 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 yeah like like yeah like Eric like Derek like Derek like like Derek the Dominoes like one of the yeah. greatest riffs of all time <laughs> both, both the guitar <laughs> riff and the piano riff and the fade out that that fade out is some is yeah it's kind of one of those songs like Freebird by mm-hmm. by by Skinner it's literally two songs in one <laughs> right right. You get the uh, rocker and the ballad all in one. <laughs> yep, yep. But uh, that name is different than in the comics, right? I, th- I think when we were talking about the yeah. comics, his, his Mar- wife had a Marlene. different name. Marlene, okay. yeah. Marlene or Marlene, I'm not sure how to pronounce it yet. But as far as her father being an archaeologist that she adores and that his death is directly or indirectly tied to Mark's mercenary activities is all true. Right. That's all from the comics. 
that why they changed her name to Layla, I don't know. Maybe somebody was a, a Clapton fan, or yeah, or I like to say Dwayne Allman because Dwayne's really who made that song. But I digress. Right, right, yeah. <laughs> it's the slide guitar on that riff that's awesome. But mm. I digress. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that's that's all true. She in the comic books is not only married to to Mark, she's she's the mother of his child. Really, so, uh, with uh, w- w- like what we saw in the fourth episode, she's kind of falling more for the Stephen persona than the Mark one. Right, and I think. I think she she likes the the Mark persona for the machismo, but she likes Steven's persona. This brings up an interesting dynamic that kind of relates back to when we were talking about uh, certain social or political messaging done by showrunners. If this is an attempt to to kind of push a message about, quote unquote, toxic masculinity, I think it might blow up in their face because maybe I'm the weird one. Once again, you can send all your hate to me. A lot of of, of people that seem to push that idea to me i've asked them well do you really think that more quote-unquote macho men and i consider myself in that area for god's sakes i was a pro wrestler right <laughs> it's about as macho as you can do get you, yeah I'm college football player it's kind of goes to the territory i'll ask them sometimes when they get on those on their soapbox or that do you really think me and my friends think some of these very 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 negative actions that you're attributing to all men or something we talk about and we we celebrate, we think they're good? Do you really think that? Well, I, I don't know. I don't think you do. Well, then why do you <laughs> think all men are like that? And, and and so my experience has been, no matter what kind of woman, I've dated all different kinds of women. Even the ones who claim they want a very, very sympathetic, listen-to-me romantic man, every once in a while they want a man to be a, a, a prototypical man. Honey, right. fix the car, change Chop the some oil. Wood. Yeah. Oh yeah. Several girls I've been with who were uh, were very much of that mindset of oh I want to I want men to be more understanding, compassionate would often turn to me and go, okay now earn your man card honey. Yeah. Well, what do you mean? Well I got a flat tire. You need to come out here and earn your man. So yeah. yeah. <laughs> that that argument's never played with me. And if if you have a problem with me feeling that way, fine. You can you can reach out to me on Twitter at crazytrade underscore jb. Just I'm just go. I can only go on my own personal experience. 50 years old, I've had a lot of girlfriends in those 50 years. That's been my experience. And I can't think for the life of me that I'm the only man that's had similar experiences. So I think uh, a good kind of parody uh, of what we're talking about where, you know, the the sensitive yet macho is the uh, one of the Old Mm -hmm. Spice spokesmen. I think his real name is Isaiah Mustafa, where he's walking and like and talking in a sweet voice. But yet somehow with one arm, he's able to like saw lumber and chop wood and put all the, put all this, do, do this got, manly got stuff. Wash, washboard abs. <laughs> right. <laughs> and just the, the prototypical, like hunky macho looking man It's like, yeah, are you kidding me? And it's like, I don't think that the people that tend to get caught up in that look back and realize that the art typical hero in film and novels and plays, whatever are both. I would say, you know, one of my favorite, heroes of all time is, is John Shaft, the Shaft franchise. Mm-hmm. Well, John is slick and he's cool and he has all that swagger, but he's not a jerk. Even the song by Isaac, Isaac Hayes talks about you know, he loves his woman. He doesn't say women, mm-hmm. you know, and he, 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 but John Shaft's a kick-ass dude. He, if it calls to get physical, John Shaft's going to do it, isn't he? Right. But he's also sensitive with the ladies. He's like you like to say about Frank Castle. Frank, for all his quote-unquote talks on masculinity, is the same guy who would stop to help the old lady across the street. Right. And so I think the people that get caught up on that don't take into consideration the great heroes of folklore and stories 
often are a sensitive macho guy. And by having Stephen Grant persona personality and the Mark Spector personality, we actually see two different aspects of the same because they are the same person. It is like painfully obvious that's what it is. And you see as time goes on with Layla, whenever she needs that particular aspect of Moon Knight to be that, she's asking for that one to come out. Right. She wants to uh, shoulder to cry on when she needs somebody to be sympathetic to, to her problems. Or she, or she needs the Egyptology expertise. Okay, let Stephen take over the body. But when she needs somebody who's going to fight and protect him, where's Mark? And more especially, the suit. <laughs> Summon the suit. Yeah. So it's like <laughs> Stephen is kind of a little more charming and a little more of the, the brain, so to speak. But the mm-hmm. Mark one, uh, you could say that he is a man who would fight for her honor, like Chicago would say. Yes. Yes. There's that famous painting, The Duality of Man. I think that a lot of people get caught up in minutia when i think all men have both those aspects to their character it's just who we are at our core and sexual orientation upbringing personal likes and all that all that affects i think what aspect is there more often but i think that they both exist and every man i've ever met and i think the, the the thing they can do with the character of moon knight is literally show it as two separate entities but they are just different aspects of mark's character and what i find fascinating is even when he transforms into moon knight when he quote-unquote summons the suit depending on who is in charge of the body at the time we even have a different suit that is reflective of that right when mark's in charge and he summons the suit it's the full-on hood and cow moon knight who fights like batman you know we get to see that great scene at the end of the third episode where it looked, it looked like a Batman move, didn't it? Where he like he like glided down on the on the thing and he's throwing yeah, and, all and the cape you know. made like a crescent moon shape. Yeah, instead of the bat shape stuff. Exactly. But when Steven is in charge of the body and he summons the suit, we get the white three piece suit or two piece suit with the mask. That's yeah. it. Yeah, the and the, the he, Mr. Knight look. He, yeah, yeah. I mean, and he doesn't have the the fighting ability because obviously Mark is the aspect of his uh, of his personality that has that. But he still has all the protections of the suit from Conchu. Mm-hmm. But there's a very physical reminder of the personality of both individuals when they summon their superpowers to begin with. It's actually much more black and white than the nuance that we see in real world and real on on the duality of man, to go back to that analogy, you know? Right. Now, the fourth episode, I think uh, it had kind of talked about peaks and valleys before with uh Legend of Tomorrow. I think this was kind of an example of the peaks, peaks and valleys in this series because that fourth episode that had a lot of adventure and a lot of Indiana Jones, Uncharted oh, yeah. type, type stuff. But it also is the episode that threw that real curveball because we see Harrow shoot Mark and Mark fall into whatever trough or pool or whatever was in the tomb. Mm. And then he kind of wakes up. And I don't think we've gotten the entire explanation yet but it looks like he might be dead and is just in some other kind of plane of existence mm-hmm. and maybe that's why they they did that to kind of get the visual of steven and mark side by side like a- acting as, as different people if you go back to the end of episode three before this one it's good storytelling one of you and me have always talked about like most stories are three acts the first act you introduce all the major players establish the good guys the bad guys the second act is Put the heroes in the worst possible scenario you can imagine. And then the third act, you resolve that 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 problem. 
You know, right, right. that's what happens, I think, at the end of episode three and then all through four, where at the end of episode three, to even get to the tomb, because they're trying to find the statue of, of Amit, they realize they need to go to a tomb. So Stephen has to take over quite often. Right. Because his Egyptology expertise is needed. And they get a map, but it was a map from a long time ago. So the stars that it is based on are a little different than it would have been when it's made. So Khonshu agrees to basically go back in time so they can get the map coordinates right. And like I brought up in our preview of the show, is being a creature from the overvoid, time and space are, are concepts that don't exist to Khonshu. He exists in all time and in all space, constantly. But he realizes in doing this, he will be punished by the other gods. And his punishment is he's trapped in a statue, a little small statue, looks like a, you know, like a Kenobic jar that they would put the, that the ancient Egyptian priests would use to put like a mummy's organs in when they removed them and did the embalming and mummification process. So here's that worst case scenario. Now, Mark slash Steven, he can't call on Konshu anymore. konshu has been captured or right. imprisoned, basically. And then the entire episode of the tomb is, oh, how's he going to get out of this? this bad situation it's sometimes steven's able to get out of it because of his knowledge of egyptology at other times mark's able to get out of it because he uses his fist to get out but then that ultimately leads like you said arthur shooting him and we're going oh crap right because really in the comics it's firmly established that he has died before and Khonshu just just resurrects him so facing yeah facing death is not a big deal for him when he knew Khonshu was around so that's right. kind of the big part of this is there's no Khonshu to, re- to resurrect him. Exactly. Is that not the epitome of, okay, we have now just put our hero in the absolute worst case scenario possible, right? Right, right. And I couldn't help but think in, in my head when I saw him come to in that asylum or hospital or whatever it was, I'm assuming it, it's an asylum because that's what they called the fifth episode. But boy, mm-hmm. that was awfully nice and shiny, like a Apple store or something like that. <laughs> you know. yeah, I guess the other thing that threw the audience for a loop because it was totally unexpected aside from bringing up Stephen in in this asylum so they can kind of appear side by side but the appearance of uh i was pronounced tar at the 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 hippopotamus guy yeah yeah yeah, the 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 first knee-jerk reaction i had i know i'm dating myself by making this reference but he saw this upright hippo walk through the door i'm like did they just go into like a, a reboot of new zoo review because yeah, that, that was like the first that, thing. Why, <laughs> <didn't it? Yeah. laughs> well, there's a show I haven't thought of in a long time. Yeah. Google it for those of our listeners that don't know New Zoo Review. Yeah. It, it, and I will forewarn you, if you do, the intro song to that old television show is one of those earworms that will get it's, in your head for a while. It's going to get in your head. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, I never thought a great analogy. I never thought about that. But now I can't get that song out of my head. Thank you. Yeah. Seth. Well, yeah, well, it's either that or make a Hungry Hungry Hippos reference. Uh, there's there's that that one. one's applicable as well. Yeah. <laughs> but I don't know that much about Egyptian mythology. It's definitely lacking as compared to my knowledge of, say, traditional Norse or Greek mythology. And plus, I'm not sure how many hippos there are in Egypt. Maybe maybe they're there. I don't know. In the Nile. I'm probably in the Nile. Egypt's a pretty big country. People tend to forget how big Egypt is. And the bulk of the Nile runs across the whole country. So, But anyway, I don't know enough to know if if, if, how you pronounce Tawet is essentially she's presented as like the captain of the ship that takes your spirit to the Egyptian underworld. Yeah, you yeah, know? a grim reaper of sorts. 
Yeah, like uh, if Greek mythology be uh, Charon the boatsman that takes you down the river Styx. But I do know enough about Egyptology to know she is a goddess, and she is presented as a hippo-headed. So they had that right. I always thought she was like a a, a, a goddess of fertility and mothers. I don't know what that has to do with the underworld, but I guess fertility would represent motherhood or birth. So birth and death kind of go hand in hand, don't they? So Yeah, maybe. and when I see a hippopotamus, the goddess of birthing and mothering doesn't exactly come to mind. Who knows? We're not Egyptian. We didn't live in that world. So. <laughs> <laughs> but, but anyway, it was a very, once again, a good device to now both Stephen aspect and the Mark aspect separate, and they can interact with one another. And we don't have to use that. What they've been using up to this point was any reflective surface, mirrors, water, whatever. Now they're actually two entities. And this idea of balance and balancing the scales to decide your fate, that is very much, in, I know I know in Egyptian mythology, this idea of you have to be bound. And they'd already established this with that tattoo that Arthur has on his arm when he would test people for Emmett. And if the scales were out of balance, he would kill them. So one aspect I do find interesting which was more in the third and fourth episode than in this fifth episode, The Asylum, which I don't ever remember this being in the comics. The idea that that Mark agrees to be the avatar of Khonshu simply to protect Layla from becoming that, because that's what Khonshu wants. Uh, it's, 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 it's a nice romantic, oh, is it that sweet vibe to the story, but I don't ever remember it being in the comics. But I think if you look at a, 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 a play or an act like Star Wars, we talk about that whole idea of introduce... Worst case scenario, resolution. If this is six episodes, and I think it is, the first two basically establish Mark and, 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 and Steven. The next two that we're we just talked about are putting him in the worst case scenario, and now we're beginning to see the resolution with part five and, and six. So you're, you're taking two episodes to basically tell that one act. Yeah. And, and I think we see, unfortunately, at the end of the fifth episode, the Asylum, the Steven aspect falls over the boat and into the sands of the Duat. And is uh, turned basically it turned basically into a sand creature, and we're led to believe that he's now dead. Uh, I think that's a very, my opinion. I could be wrong. It's a very visible explanation as to now Mark's going to take over all the time, and he's going to be just a kick-ass. Now, whether Stephen ever comes back or not, I don't know. But I do believe this is my speculation. Mark is dead. Mark got shot. He's died. He's if he's not dead, he's dying. This isn't some kind of illusion. Remember, Kevin Feige told us that Moon Knight was going to be an introduction to a whole other aspect of the MCU. We've dealt with magic, but will we ever dealt with it with like a spirituality supernatural yet with this idea of an afterlife and heaven and hell? This is the first time I could ever remember them even coming close to anything like that, right? Yeah, I think you're right. I, I had put in my reviews, I, I was calling it like this uh, other plane of existence where it's like he might not be there in flesh and blood, but he's there in spirit, so to speak. Right, and as... Neither one of us hide it. We're both, we're both men that have strong spiritual beliefs. That's a way I explain it to non-believers a lot. It's just another plane, another realm of existence mm -hmm. that you may not physically be there, but spiritually you are there. Right. And that's kind of always been my explanation to people of heaven and hell that, that have a hard time getting their mind around that concept. I'm sure you've, you've gone that route before too, haven't you? Yeah. Oh, oh definitely. Especially in childhood. Right. Exactly. It, you know, these are very, very amorphous, metaphysical concepts we're talking about and you're trying to i don't want to say dumb it down but pare it down as much as you can and so i think now we're seeing steven's quote-unquote dead mark's going to take over and we know mark has to free conch to resurrect him and i and i think that's probably what's going to happen in this last episode yeah yeah i, I think so too somehow conch will get saved and then that's how we get steven back 
even though the spirit, I guess you could say, figuratively died. Cease to exist? Yeah, so, <laughs> so, something along that line. Uh, that, that would bring us to the next part I want to talk about, which is the prediction. So I think we're in agreement that obviously Mark's going to find a way. The show's not going to end with Mark being destroyed yeah. forever. So we agree that Concho will have a hand in resurrecting both of them. One thing I, mm-hmm. I can't help but wonder about, because you know how during WandaVision, everybody was saying that uh, Mephisto is going to be a character? And then that's kind of right. been a running gag ever since that every Marvel project has Mephisto buried in it somewhere. Right. We did see Mark actually black out. I think it was in the, the third episode. All the mm-hmm. blackouts before were happening to Steven. Right. Where Mark would take over. And then we definitely saw Mark being depicted as Mark's the one that blacked out. And then is like, where am I? And obviously he still was a very deadly person. He killed a lot of henchmen. Right. So the general belief, and this may be the case, or it might be something that might be like the the stinger or the last moments of the the premiere to kind of get you in the mood for another season or another movie. A lot of fans are thinking that that's Jake Lockley because possible because if it was Steven, there'd be no reason to have the mystery there of who was it. That's that's just my opinion. And we know, like we said yeah. earlier, Steven's like borderline pacifist, so him kicking the crap out of multiple guards unless he's maybe in the suit his mr knight suit so i think it's possible Mm -hmm. that that's how we're going to get jake lockley and that's i think a lot of fans think the same thing if we don't i i I think it's uh it's an unsolved plot line yeah and i think i think something you brought up earlier is going to play into this the fact that alayla seems to be attracted to different aspects of each one of the personalities Mm -hmm. i think that mark will reconstitute Conchu will resurrect him, get the suit. He'll he'll win the day. He's the hero. That's what he's passed to do, right? And either Steven is going to come back because Conchu is going to have to explain to Mark, but that's who you are. You've been split for a long time, and so I couldn't resurrect you and only resurrect half of you. And there's just going to be this acceptance by both of them that they have to, the duality of man, they have to exist. Yeah, you know, yeah, I could see that. Concurrently. See. Or... What I would do, because it would it would swoon the ladies and the romantics out there. This is what I would do if I was storytelling. When Layla realizes that Steven isn't coming back, and she wants some of the, the Steven aspect too, Mark's going to go to go to Conchu and say, "Hey, can you resurrect him?" Because Layla wants both. Right. It, that might even be a, a plot device you could use to say, "Well, Conchu says, well, fine, but are you going to be in my servitude for another thousand years now?" And Mark would probably go, "Yeah, he'll right. do it for the lady he loves." And how romantic is it? He, he literally gives up himself at times to make the woman he loves happy. That's pretty damn romantic. Form of self-sacrifice, you might say. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's as close to to, to giving your own life without giving your own life. Um, I, I, I don't think we're going to see what you've speculated on, that in the end, Arthur is going to realize that he was wrong and that he's been led down the wrong path by Amit and that he should have stayed with Khonshu. I don't think we're going to get that. I could be wrong. I just don't see there being enough time for this. But if this is like all the other shows, both Star Wars and Marvel, the finale will be a little bit longer. Wasn't like the Book of Boba Fett, like an hour and a half. It was like an hour, final. yeah. Yeah, as opposed to a half hour. I think the last episode of, of, of Falcon Winter Soldier was like an hour and a half, so it was longer. So if they go that longer route, they might have the time to do it. I just don't know if they have the time to do it. They might not even kill Arthur, kind of like Darth Vader at the end of uh, New Hope, mm-hmm. where you think he's defeated, but you as the audience see him sulk off to come back and fight another day. So, 
Yeah, could be. The Uh, other question I have regarding Arthur is, if this is some astral plane of existence, how is he there? You know, meaning, you know, he's a man. Is I think he's a manifestation of Mark's mind. But remember, he is an avatar for a god or goddess. Right. They have some control over that plane too. So it's quite possible I'm at, uh, allowed him to be there. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. That that could make sense. And uh, they did say when Mark woke up in the in the asylum, they tried. They're saying you're creating this with everything you're seeing. You're creating with your own mind or something to that effect. Right. And and I guess that's the limitations of being a monotheistic believer. That the, these polytheistic concepts are a little little difficult for us to wrap our minds around. But overall, how have you felt about the last three episodes? If you had to give them uh, another grade. I would give them probably a B. I think I graded one as a C just because it kind of threw for a loop so much. But it's getting back in the groove now. And like you said, we're introducing horror slash uh, afterlife elements here. True supernatural, not mystical, supernatural elements. Right. Where you're dealing with some pretty heady metaphysical concepts. Uh, the concepts they have dealt with up to this point in the MCU have have brushed up on and been adjacent to supernatural. But even like magic with Doctor Strange or, or the Eternals had a sci-fi explanation. The quantum realm. Thor even says what you consider magic, we consider science in my world because they are one and the same. They've always kind of had this this sci-fi lean to their explanations. There is no sci-fi lean to their explanations here. It is straight up supernatural. So yeah. this is uncharted territory for the MCU. And unfortunately, I do not think we're going to see Marshal Ali as Blade in this. But I think the two of them crossing paths down the road, whether it be in a television show or a movie, is coming. I, mean, I think you said you agree with that too, off mic. Yeah, because one of the reports I had read was that Moon Knight will be a pretty regular part of the MCU from here, so we might see him in future movies. Yeah, I, I still think he, for obvious reasons, is going to have to be a, a major part of Werewolf by Night, the Halloween special in October. Yeah, I, I, that's one of those things I'd be disappointed if they didn't do it. Right, and I, I don't know the particulars of uh, Arthur Isaac's contract, but if it's like any other contract, it's multi, multi-picture, multi-show deal. Right, right. Which is why I'll question what the fate of of Arthur Harrow is because Ethan Hawke, he's a big name. I don't think you're going to sign him up for a one-off. Right. There there have been very few actors or actresses that of his level they've signed up as one-offs. Mickey Rourke, Jeff Bridges, Kate Blanchett, but they're about the only ones I can think of. Right. Eccleston. Mm-hmm. There have been a few, but usually even the bad guys, you know, Josh Brolin as Thanos, Tom Hiddleston as Loki, They've signed on for multi-picture deals, multi-show deal, even as a bad guy. Right. So that's just how the how the MCU seems to, and Disney seems to, to structure those contracts. So I, I have a hard time believing this is the last we're going to see of Ethan Hawke. I don't know what you think. Yeah, I, I agree. I think it'll happen in, in some capacity. Yeah. Um, yeah. So are you looking forward to the to the finale? Yeah, I don't know if I'll be able to watch it immediately when it premieres because I have I got responsibilities in the, you know, in the morning, but I'll right. probably watch it by Wednesday night. My other thing I, w- I wanted to ask you before we wrap up, th- they've made a big deal out of the fact that Moon Knight is part of the, of the main MCU, the shared universe, but it wasn't going to have any direct tie-ins like anything else. Do you think we actually at the very end see a tie-in? I think if we see one, it will be minor, something that isn't like super important like, to the story. Like, if, like if a life credit scene or something? Right, right. Like, we're not going to see 
many established characters already. We, we, we might get one in the final moments, but I think that might be all we get. My guess is pure speculation. If you remember the post-credit scene for Shang-Chi was him showing up at, I think it was a Sanctum Sanctorium with Wong, and them trying to evaluate the origins of the Ten Rings, and it was Banner, Carol, and Wong. That kind of type thing, I think, we where you see, I don't know, uh, a Wong or, or Stephen Strange in the Sanctum, or, or maybe Shang-Chi. Some, somebody already has a Miss or Wanda, and they sense or noticed a, a blip on the mystical spectrum around Egypt, and that's the first time he's exposed to the larger... You follow what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, where he sees there's other superheroes out there. Right, and I think that would be a way they could tie it in. And then whenever they wanted to introduce him to the larger MCU, there's your built-in reason. Strange sensed him, or Wanda sensed him, and they need somebody with those particular skills. They need Khonshu to help them out. They go out and seek out. And then it's not pulling out of their butts. It's a strength and a weakness of the MCU that, because they we've talked about it before, one of the cool things reading comic books was the old editor's notes where it'd be the little bubble up at oh, the yeah. top of the cell saying, oh, they're referring to this storyline and such as to see whatever issue of whatever title. You don't have that movie. They kind of try to do it in the MCU, but it's it's actually smart marketing is that there's so much of that going on in the MCU. There's not so much of it going on that it frustrates the casual viewer, but enough of it to make people want to say, oh, I need to see this because you got to watch everything or you're going to be, you're going to miss something, you know? Right, right. And, and they've done a pretty good job. And I, the way I look at it is, is as successful as this franchise is, it's been going on for how long now? 12 years? Is that right? 14, I think. Because I think we just had the, an- yeah, the yeah. anniversary of the first right. Iron Man movie. Yeah. So if you've been on this hype train for that long, I don't see you jumping it off, jumping off anytime soon. <laughs> right. Right. Makes sense. <laughs> so Anyway. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I give it probably a beat as well. I think it's not as strong as some of the other stuff, but I didn't expect it to be because of the concepts it was dealing with. And I think that we'll, we'll, we'll say, I haven't heard anybody complaining about it. No, so. no, me neither. All right. So, so that's, that's going to wrap up this edition of Geekville Radio. If you're listening to us for the first time or even first time in a while, we are on the web at geekvilleradio.com. We're also on all the podcatchers out there, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, you, you name it. And we're on Facebook and Twitter as Geekville Radio. So drop us a line if you like what, what you hear, or even if you didn't like what you hear and want to give us advice on how to be better. You can certainly find us there. And train if anybody wants to talk to you about comics or movies or wrestling or to argue with you about your obviously hated views here, where, where, they can, where can they find you? It is what it is, man. You can always reach me at Twitter at crazytrain underscore JB. That's also my handle across pretty much every social media platform that I have an account on. So just do a search for that. You'll probably find it. I, I, I Everything's kind of crazy right now at work. I'm helping to shut down a facility that we have. So I may not be as quick on, on the return, but I, I do get them all. I will try to return them. And quite frankly, I'm going to a wrestling show Wednesday night in Georgia because I'm helping to train some of the younger guys that are on the card. So <laughs> I got a full slate right now. So if it, I don't respond to you right away, rest assured I will within a few days. It's just things are a little more crazy than and hectic than normal. All right. And once again, thank you folks for listening. Uh, we'll talk to you again next time. 
Geekville Radio is not sponsored or endorsed by any product or company unless specifically stated. The views expressed by the host and or guests are purely their own and do not represent the views of geekvilleradio.com, a1-wrestling.com, or any affiliates. Some media used on Geekville Radio is the respective copyright of its publishers, all rights reserved. So if Layla winds up uh, sleeping with the Steven persona instead of Mark's, could that be considered cheating? Hmm. Good question. <laughs> I, I figured that was a good stinger as any. I don't know if you had any other. Well, if the song Layla's based on this love triangle between Clapton, was it George Harrison and his wife? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Kind of, kind of fits. <laughs>